So hi, welcome to Gnoise Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm Glory. And we're here with... Dave Monroe from Air Traffic Controller. And we're asking some questions to say about their new album, Dash. So congrats on that, by the way. How do you feel about the response to it so far? Really great. Um, it's a new record. We, we knew we'd be coming out to, you know, play the hits uh, and to hear people saying that they've been listening to Dash and a lot of them saying that they started listening to it because they knew we were coming and they wanted to know the new stuff. So that, that feels really good to have people know these songs. Hell yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned you guys are out on the road right now. It's the first time in nearly four years. Was there any sort of like anxiety getting back out on the road and, and being back on stage? Anxiety? No, I, I, Somehow I wasn't really nervous about performing at all. Um, we did, we have kept up our chops by playing, you know, shows around, uh, new England, but, um, you know, none of those have been tours. So, so yeah, we're just, we're just happy to be doing our thing in new places. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. I, there's probably some anxiety in the band because we have a, a couple of people with us that haven't, haven't toured before. <laughs> But um, but they're such good performers. I don't, I don't, I don't know how anxious they were about it. Uh, <laughs> definitely anxious to be to be out here. We call them our tour babies, our tadpoles. Oh. <laughs> so it, it was just kind of like, is it like riding a bike for you? Kind of like yeah. being back out on the road. Yeah, it really is. That's um, awesome. It feels good just just to be out here and 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 doing this for new pe- new people. And, uh, and, you know, reuniting with, with, uh, fans we remember from, from when we used to do this all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Uh, so is there any meaning behind the album title or cover art? Yes. Um, and I kind of wanted to be secretive about it at first and, but now like, um, now that I'm meeting people, it's, it's a good conversation piece. Um, I'm telling them that, um, the the title dash um refers to the dash between the date you're born and the date that you die you know like on a gravestone Mm -hmm. Uh, i was at a funeral when we were recording the record um it was near the end of COVID, i guess and um and the the guy the priest giving the sermon uh told a story um basically referred to that that dash as like a a lifespan and was saying like the person who had passed on um how much of a life they lived and and what that what that dash meant Mm -hmm. and um that kind of asked everybody you know what are you going to do with your dash your little dash life is short and uh, all we have is this little line before um before we're gone and and what are we going to fill with it um and it just kind of blew my mind it's not it wasn't something he invented but i had never heard it before and not nobody abandoned either and and when i came back i said well why don't we name the album dash and we'll just put a dash on the on the on the cover and everybody was super excited about it so and then what's on there is actually a a dash that you would see like on a runway or a street um just the dotted line it's just one of those dashes 
So it's kind of worn out. And everybody thinks that it's like stars on the co- on the cover or something like all these little speckles, but it's it's just a, it's just the road, the street. Um, and if you if you open up the package and and hold it up, you see more dashes, and it all kind of makes more sense. But um, but yeah, I've been I've just been telling people about it, and they and they get more excited about the cover and the title and stuff. So absolutely yeah that, that yeah. just blew my mind that's really fucking cool <laughs> um you know you mentioned like this all kind of happened while you were recording the album does does the album touch on like what the the album title means at all or are they just kind of like absolutely yeah that's it, it kind of that's what made it uh, so important to me um because it, it did strike what we were trying to express on this record and, and with this band in general we just um we just sort of preach in a way um, for people listening to, to make the best of their lives and, and live it up. That's kind of our message all along, really. Oh yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your writing process for this album? Um, well, we had, um, compared to last album, which was, which did have some co-writing with, uh, with the producer and, and uh, a couple people in the band this one was more like people's lives were were changing a lot they were moving away and uh the band was sort of going through uh, some big changes and it, it, the last men standing really were were the drummer adam and and me um there were people still tied to the band, but we were the ones that were really pushing to make, make a new record. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so he was working on instrumentals, um, because he does more than play drums. He was, he, he had this giant, like Borg Triton keyboard. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, but they're really heavy and yeah. huge. They're from the nineties, but, uh, <clears throat> a lot of, a lot of, weird sounds coming out of this thing. So he was sort of tracking these demos on there and um, not really having a lot of recording experience, but you can actually record all the tracks on this keyboard. Hmm. But once you shut it off, it's all gone. So, so, so you have to like play a lot of things live. It's almost like looping really. Um, And he played things back and, and so he would have these little, kind of crappy demos, but, but really inspiring. Um, and he would send them my way and it was sort of, uh, sort of remote work, but it was, we had started doing this before COVID. And, um, so we did get together a lot and, and work that way. Um, and it was just like, a, just a lot of co-writing where I would do most of the he would come up with these demos and I would just start humming nonsense. And, um, and then, uh, I would be coming up with lyrics sort of, um, usually on my drive home or, or, um, if I was with him and be, we'd get through it with a lot of him chiming in. Maybe not, maybe he's not spitting out the lyrics, but I will. And he'll be like, that's cool. But, would change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, he was wanting me to, he was always saying, uh, I remember when we were writing, I was saying like, people aren't going to get this, this part. 
And then he, guys, I'm like, it's too specific. But he kept saying, telling me not to be afraid of being specific. I remember that hmm. um, because um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that you say something specific and people can still relate to it. Even if it's not the specific thing that you say, mm-hmm. um, it's the feeling. So Absolutely. it was, I love writing with Adam. We're going to do a lot more of that. So, and the whole band has been, you know, writing more songs together um, so I'm excited to see where, where we go next, um, co-writing as a band all together in a room. Cause we've done it a few times and it's, it's a, so it's, it's a new way of writing now that we're doing, um, sort of everybody in the room, uh, Bobby on electric guitar, um, always coming up with cool things and, and inspiring songs. We were on stage last night and he was doing something and I, I had to like record on my phone. I'm like, we're, we're going to, that's a song right there. So, so the, the writing process changes all the time and, and it's always exciting when, when a new method comes up. So we don't stick to one way of doing it really. Well, it's, it's awesome to hear that it's, it's very collaborative within the group and it's not just like one or two people that write has, everything, uh, you know, yeah. it has become that way. Yeah. Where it's so collaborative now in the early records, it was really like me and my acoustic demos, mm-hmm. you know, showing them to a producer who is very like hands-on and, and already had it like a picture of how the recording would sound in his head. Um, but on dash, it was really like having five producers make the record, which took so long, but I think it was worth it, you know, because we, we, let, we let everybody get their ideas out. No, no, we were never like, nah, you know, let's not try that idea. We just tried everything. And then so when we got to the end of making the record, well, when we were all separated and, and we had all this extra time because we, we didn't want to drop the record, um during the pandemic and not supported or anything so we had all this time to really super analyze dash and we wound up like muting a lot of tracks on every out on every song i mean um just to see if if the songs could stand without all the ideas on them Mm -hmm. and and uh and then we would maybe sneak in you know, some sneak some back in that we thought uh, it needed, but we didn't really want to give the songs. Um, we didn't really want to overlay it. So, so we started stripping them back a bit and then sometimes adding more stuff too, but um, in, in different ways with people like, like Bobby, um, like playing new parts um, because he, he joined the band when we were back in studio mm-hmm. yeah. finishing the record um uh, the the new stuff that he was coming up with was was awesome so good yeah, i'm glad that we we didn't just like put out the same record we um thought was gonna was gonna come out during that time period that, where the mm-hmm. pandemic hit we got to kind of um um have all this this whole pandemic experience sort of um contribute to the record really um we even put out a song uh during the pandemic uh that i had to record the lyrics i mean i had to record the uh the vocals in my garage and it was like during the, the height where every, nobody would go near each other so we were i had i was in my garage we set up a microphone um 
this is just us trying to finish one song remotely so we could get something out there to the fans because we promised them a record. Um, <laughs> we, I had um, uh, one guy in the band, Steve, in the driveway on his laptop, sitting in his Prius, uh, running cables under my garage door, and I'm singing inside. And um, that's how we finished the song sometimes that was in there and because that was the closest. That song was almost done. And, um, but the whole album was, we thought was about 75% done. Um, but the work we did on it when we finally got back together really, uh, made it what it is too. So mm-hmm. Holy shit. all these, that all is... these weird different methods of writing and recording happened on this one. So yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're excited to share that. Yeah. Thanks the, for yeah. the, the pandemic, uh, recording process that you shared is definitely one of the most interesting ones we've heard. It's it's been mm-hmm. a lot of you know I tracked in my living room and then I sent it to the producer. No one like got together but didn't get together kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely creative. Yeah, <laughs> it works. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, what song off this album took longest to write, and which one is your personal favorite? My personal favorite. Right now, I mean, it, it's the new one. It's the one I, I listen to the most. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it took the longest to make, too. Yeah, it was it was a marathon, this this making this record. Um, we, we, had, we kept the faith, but yeah, something kept telling me, like, God, this thing's never going to come out. And um, yeah, we had... Um, one of our players uh, moved to California and he was, he was working so hard. His name's Adrian um, working remotely that he kind of got burnt out on. And he said like, I can't keep doing this. I'm in California and all my focus is going on, you know, trying to make this record that we don't know when it's coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I pretty much left the band. And so a lot of stuff, a lot of things seem to be, uh, falling apart and being rebuilt during this, this period. So, um, and our producer, I haven't mentioned yet, but Dan Cardinal really let us, um, produce the album with him. Um, so it, it was a a collaborative on a, from a production standpoint as well. Um, he was, it was, uh, all the other records were produced, um, by a guy named blue, and um he was uh very very hands-on he knew the records he wanted to make he had a sound in mind for atc what it should be and um and i'm i'm so glad that that's where we are because it gave us that it gave us like a starting point like what we can what we can sound like um and then you know making this record we did keep that in mind but we we also kind of threw that out the window at the same time like (laughs) Like now it's now we're in charge of what this is going to sound like. And Dan Cardinal producer was like a member of the band, um, you know, contributing ideas, but at the same time, like such a pro at making, making this thing sound good and, and, um, and, and, and keeping us on track. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so how did the track list for your album come about? Did you guys write the opener and be the opener and close big closer to shuffle around and see what fits? What was that process like? Oh, that's fun. Um, that's something I obsess over for sure. Um, 
Yeah, we never we never planned to to do it that way. We worked, you know, one song at a time and then just obsessed on different orders and probably have a, a note on my phone with like, you know, ten at least ten different ways we can do it. But yeah. but I think, you know, it's it was probably one of the first two ways that we that, that we thought it should go. Uh opening with twenty made so much sense. Um it's just that song is just such an opener. <laughs> it was yeah. our first single. So, mm-hmm. but, but you know, we had, it just kind of grows and, and has the, uh, the horns that, that, uh, saxophone is played by, um, Dana Colley from the band morphine. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, but, um, really probably the, one of the most well-known saxophone players in the business. And he lives right there in Boston. So we got a hold of him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anybody who knows morphine will will hear that in, in the song. It's pretty cool. Hell yeah. And the the closer makes so much sense. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if there was ever a point in your in your process where it was anywhere else, but it, it just makes sense at the end. Even like with the mix kind of being different, just like the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. You talking about the the hidden track or mm-hmm. yeah oh, yeah um, yeah we knew that was going to be the hidden track anyway. Okay. Um, or that it was going to be last at least and to end with walk. Um, and then <laughs> I, I said that when we're fit, we've, we've recorded that song live in the room. And, um, my plan was to, after we finished for everybody to just put down their instruments and, and walk out of the room. And, uh, that's kind of how it happened. Um, I forget how, how exactly we did it, but we have, we recorded the song after, um, we wound up using that, that walking around, uh, noise. So we have a track of hidden track, uh, of noise basically, mm-hmm. which is the tape. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's something from outer space, but it's just the tape, uh, rewinding the whole album. So you, you actually hear the whole record, uh, in reverse at super high speed and it takes only like a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you slowed it down and flipped it in reverse, <laughs> it might make some sense musically. Right. But uh, but yeah, it's um, and then that's followed by noises of us just setting up the microphone for me to play, um, uh, the song uh, "Kissed You in the Morning," which is which is an old song actually I wrote uh, for Nordo, one of the early records um, that we wound up not not. It was just a demo. Uh, and we didn't end up recording that song for the, for the album, uh, Nordo, but, um, the band heard it and they're like, Dave, this song, like you have to share this with the world. Yeah. So, uh, I'm glad I did. It's very personal and, and, uh, yeah, I still, I still get a little choked up hearing my own song, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad I got that real, real personal, um, stamp on that last last moment of the record so absolutely mm-hmm. and because it is an older song and it was you know written for another record did you have to rework it in any way or did you just leave it how it was uh we really wanted to recapture the demo uh, but there were a couple things about it that that made it not not good enough quality and um from a recording standpoint i think i had recorded that um I, I think I recorded that in my brother's basement on our on our own little 
studio. My brother and I, when I got out of the Navy, we built a, our own recording studio in his basement and it was legit. I mean, it had the glass wall and, and, uh, we had lots of equipment. We bought some nice stuff and it was soundproof and everything. Um, and we made a lot of what we thought were pretty awesome demos. Um, and that's really what I think, I mean, the songs I think grabbed that producer blue to make the, the records, but, um, uh, we think that the quality of the demos was was um, was also really important. Uh, but anyway, that demo it had some lyrics in it that I didn't really I I never liked, uh, and it's really it's like you know two sentences maybe that I wanted to change, and, and I'm glad that we did that. So Dan did a, a really good job um, capturing um, what was special about that demo. We he just. He set up um, one microphone and and then and recorded me playing playing the song. And then after it was done, he he played the song back through an amplifier, an old amp, guitar amp. Mm-hmm. And put a mic in front of that amp and, and recaptured the song that way. Oh and shit! It was really yeah. It sounds it sounds cool. It sounds like a demo, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Oh, it's yeah. like a produced demo, but yeah, it's like, exactly. that's, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all that walking around, it's like the band um, walking around the room and going up the stairs to that's that control room at that studio. You have to go, go up some stairs to get to it. It's, it's a really cool place. Like there's, it's, there's isolation rooms around uh, in there. So we were able to record live together without too much bleed. Um, and uh it's like a legendary old space that dan like rebuilt it's called dimension sound studios and uh some cool stuff happened like uh bad to the bone you know that that old song yeah (laughs) Um, that was recorded in that in that studio but then you know since then it had shut down and, and everything and dan like it was like full of rubble and dan like rebuilt the place and it's such a cool studio everybody should record there Oh yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you able to tell us where your headspace is at while you're creating this record? It was, it was kind of all over the place in a way. Um, I had, I had like sort of gotten this way of, of songwriting. Uh, I, I took a class, <laughs> I attended a class. I remember blue was, was, um, teaching a class at Berkeley. He was our, our first producer. He's a singer songwriter. He's got a lot of, a lot of albums out there, B L E U. And, um, and I, I sat in on one of his classes and he had asked me a lot about songwriting in, in my method. Cause he, he likes me as a songwriter, uh, uh, and a, and a, a dude too. We're, we're I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what I told him that the most important thing to me is the concept when you're writing a song, it's, it's not, it's not the riff, uh, usually. And it's not, um, uh, it's, it's never for me been to like sit down and write a song. It's usually like something like I have a feeling, uh, I have a, and it's I basically told him the concept is key for me. Um, if I don't have that, I don't have a song. I can't just like write lyrics and see where the song goes. I have to have the concept. Uh, and I think that air traffic controller songs are very, very, uh, 
concept heavy. Um, and he's, he sort of said that that's important to him too. And that, um, if you think about it, you can just come up with a song title first and then write your song. And usually the title leads you to the concept anyway. Hmm. So, um, I started, I started changing my process a little bit, um, just to deal with writer's block and, um, and just writing down titles. So I have like this massive list of titles in my phone now. And, and sometimes when I hear something I like, I can start from a riff that I like, um, and still focus on a concept because I have all these titles I can find a title that sort of, um, matches the vibe, you know, um, if, it, if, it, you know, if, if a song reminds me of like the beach or something and I have a title that's ocean or whatever, then, then I, I have a starting point, you know, it gets me out of that block. So I, I guess that that's, you know, that doesn't really quite answer your question about my headspace, but that, um, has really become my, my writing process is really starting from that concept and knowing what my process is, has really helped me, mm-hmm. uh, find new ways to do it. And that, that was one that really helped me. Um, but my headspace was sort of like, um, excited excitement, um, uh, because I'm, I was working with somebody, uh, Adam at first who was like, excited to write songs. Um, and then also in a, uh, a place of, uh, desperation a little bit because I had, didn't know where the band was going to go from there. I, you know, I had started a young family. Um, so had another guy in the band, Steve, who's not out on tour with us, but he plays lots. He still plays with us. Um, so it was like, where do we go from here? Kind of was was really the 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 vibe, yeah. <laughs> the mood. Yeah, my, that was really my mindset. Was where do we go from here? And also, like, sky's the limit. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, this this could be this could be the end of air traffic control, or it's going to just be a new chapter. Um, and we quickly realize that it's it's a new chapter, and we we can't we can't do we can't do what we did before. Um, exactly uh minus some things like we have to do something new and that was that's how we did it it's the only way it was it was going to happen really so throw the book out the window <laughs> all right that makes yeah. sense um yeah. so this question should be super super quick off the top of your head i want you to describe this album for new listeners in three words no more no less uh warm personal and relatable nice That's and I'll, com- I'll combine warm with warm hug <laughs> Aww, <laughs> that something, something the producer said uh, during recording one of the songs he's like the song is like a warm hug and i was like "Ooh, that's i'm, I'm gonna aim for that <laughs> oh yeah beautiful. yeah uh, so are you able to touch on any particularly challenging or standout moments from the creation of this album positive or negative uh challenging i mean absolutely when we had to continue making the record remotely, it was, it was so challenging and we did a lot of really good work, especially with Adrian in California. Um, it was so challenging that, that, you know, they, 
that he wound up leaving. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, also I think he was just looking, being very forward looking and fair with us that he was on the other side of the country and, um, we had to find another way to do it. And that was a, such a big challenge and yeah. so glad that we found Bobby and were able to, to get through the, the, the rest of making the record. And, um, like I said, we, we recorded them a couple new songs, um, to fill out the record. And we wound up, the producer was like, why don't you guys just do them live? And, and, and I'll record it. It's, it's easy to do in this space. And, um, and I was afraid because we, we really have never done that. Uh, we're very like track it, clean it up, make this is pop, you know? Um, and then we have like, that real, this real like rock and roll moment in the studio where we're all just like playing these songs with this new guitar player. And, uh, it really brought us together, um, you know, as a unit. So that was us overcoming uh, the challenge of, of losing someone, you know, gaining someone made it all better. Um, and another standout moment was, uh, we were recording, um, I, there's probably a sound on every record at least once where air traffic, air traffic controller like introduces something that you don't, you have no idea what it is, but you like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like on black box, it's like the first thing that you hear on the record on people watching is like this weird, like marks a phone, but we had, we did things like that on every record. Mm -hmm. Um, and on this one, it's, we were recording the song fool's gold and like, it's this real, like eerie warped sound that happens throughout that song. And, um, it was, it was Dan had this, um, uh, marimba. I don't, I forget what it's called. Kalimba, Kalimba, I think it's called. It's like this little box with little, um, metal tabs on it. And you find it at like, you find them at like probably Cracker Barrel or something like this. Like, <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> really little instrument. Yeah. Um, and so we, we use that, but we put a microphone on it, uh, and then amped it with a Leslie, which is like an amplifier with, um, that spins around. Mm -hmm. So you get like this really weird, um, um, the Beatles used it a lot in like in psychedelic ways, but it's kind of an old, an old amp. Um, so we, we did that. And then, uh, Dan plugged it into a bunch of like guitar pedals and he just made this really weird, like, um, bed of, of, of sound. And it, it sounds like it reminded me of like being, out in nature in a way because you have like this little like this like uh, is it animals is it i don't know but anyway that was like such an exciting moment like i broke out the phone i think we i'm pretty sure we, we put that on on instagram atc music is our instagram handle if you go back to we posted a, some stuff of us making the record and we recorded us doing that. And it was such a cool moment. I'm like, this is it. This is our weird thing that we did on this, on this album. Like no one's going to know how we did it. Um, yeah. but I just told you. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my exciting and, and challenging stuff that we did. All right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to say before we move on to the next question, I think it's just crazy impressive how you guys were able to use 
at least I've at minimum five different writing processes and you were still able to make a very cohesive and enjoyable album. That's just crazy to me. That was, that was, that was all I had to say. Yeah. That, I, I do. I do say that that's why it took so long, but I think it was worth the wait. You know, I kept saying to everybody, um, I had heard that U2's uh, Joshua Tree album was was like that. It was so much fighting. We didn't fight, though. We were all pretty chill about it. But that record, they were five, four, I think four, a couple producers and a couple, you know, uh, heavy-handed people in the band. I'm sure Bono and The Edge were two of them. But, um, but there were so many different people trying to make a different record on the Joshua tree for you two. Yeah. And it's the greatest albums of all time. Yeah. And, uh, and I just kept reminding myself and other people that this is a good thing that we're, that we're arguing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so for this question, since you're on tour, we have to ask what's been your go-to snack at a gas station or a rest stop. Oh my God. <laughs> Mine, mine is very boring. Uh, and Joe will hate me for saying this, but, uh, I like bananas and Joe, our bass player, I wish he was here because he'd be like running out of the room, just hearing the word banana. He just doesn't like them, which is, I think is crazy. The fuck has he got but, against uh, bananas, man? But, uh, there's been a lot of beef jerky, oh, uh, okay. which I think, <laughs> I think is fine. But I think one of the worst smells in the world is someone else's beef jerky. Yeah, you know, it's that and someone else's tuna fish, but we haven't uh, had any tuna fish this tour. But those the, are. Sorry, I'm sorry. Who the fuck is bringing tuna fish in a tour? Nobody do that. But I just okay. reminded everybody that the worst, the two worst smells in the world are someone else's tuna and someone else's um, beef jerky. And I think both tuna and beef jerky are delicious. But if oh, they're yeah. not, if I'm not consuming them, I cannot smell them. No. Um, and I need to I need to uh, give a shout out to the giant rice rice crispy cake. What is it? Oh. Rice crispy treat. It's like bigger than my hands are holding up right now. It's like this massive square. Oh that my Emmy, god! That Emmy picked it up in a truck stop, and we've just been grossly like grabbing sections of it and and eating it. It's there's still half half of a sheet in the car. Uh, so it's, it's been funny. I, and I need to talk about one other thing that happened with the beef jerk. Oh God. One night, one night Emmy came in the hotel room with, uh, a, the beef jerky and a jar of, um, Tostitos cheese. And no. she was dipping the beef jerky in the cheese and like airplaning it to people's mouths. No. No. grossest thing i've ever seen and uh she she basically force fed it to everyone uh but was nice enough not to do it to me so thank god thank you emmy you're spared that's fucking yeah. disgusting <laughs> right that's that's like that's, really. that's foul oh. yeah it's foul yeah <laughs> everybody did it but me and i'm, I'm not i don't regret it good i, I couldn't good I would have bombed right there. Completely fair, but <laughs> reaction, honestly. Yeah, it, uh, but everyone thought it was really delicious, right? I mean, it probably tasted like a cheeseburger or something, but I don't know. Spicy cheeseburger? No. Maybe, no. maybe not. I don't think so, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> you could have found out for yourself. Yeah. You still have time to. 
I yeah, maybe after the last show, I'll I'll do that. There's a lot I'm gonna do after the last show. I'm just gonna let it. Let it. Let it rip. So for these last couple of questions, we're going to shift away from music, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. So we're actually going to go straight to death row. Boom. So if death you're on death row, what would your last meal be with a drink? Oh, man. Um, probably not that. It would be... Good. <laughs> Tacos and a beer. Hell yeah. Nice. Soft shell, crunchy shell. I'm sorry, it's a very important question. Uh, I would want a food truck to pull up to the jail and it would be like, um, it would have to be drive over from Texas. If the jail wasn't in Texas, I would need them to come to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would get maybe like an El Pastor and maybe a barbacoa. Fuck yeah. Carnitas. Something. Yeah. Like a three taco deal there. Uh, and then yeah, maybe for a beer, Although it wouldn't be quite the pairing, I would want like um, an English ale or um, or lager. I'm kind of into pilsners now too, but I think I'd probably go with an English ale, mm-hmm. uh, not not too dark, something like light. Okay, but not one of the warm beers. We've been to England and Ew. and and um, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> gross, but I wouldn't call it warm beer. But they have they serve beer over there that's not cold and uh i gotta say it was okay but um but i prefer a cold beer so yeah, yeah. fair enough <laughs> yeah yeah um so if you could live in one fictional fictional world for a week where would you live oh avatar yeah pandora uh, or last pandora. airbender okay gotcha. yeah okay. i haven't seen the last airbender i need to see that but the uh, show yeah. was good don't watch the movie <laughs> don't watch that shit don't waste your time um, <laughs> Yeah, I just saw Avatar. It was probably one of the last things I saw in the theater. And um, yeah, I really am, am sad I can't go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. Probably. Maybe Star Wars. I don't know. I'd probably get get killed quicker there. Oh. So, um, Avatar. Pandora. Yes. Pandora. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> uh, so, I have the honor of asking the last question. Every single person we've spoken to has actually said it is the most important question. Uh-oh. Listen. What is your favorite color? Blue. Specific shade of blue. Turquoise. Turquoise. Nice. Ooh, I don't know. I really like. Um, I do like uh, like straight Superman blue as well. So mm, classic one. Tough mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with classic blue. Yeah. Hell yeah. Crayon blue. All right. Uh, so as Gloria said, that's all the questions we have today. Is there anything that you would like to plug? We have more shows. Uh, we are headed home. We, we're playing Chicago, but in New England, we're playing a bunch more. Uh, we've got a, a big show coming up. Uh, we're kind of calling it our homecoming slash album release show, uh, even though it's a little bit after the tour. It's a little bit after the album release. Uh, it's it's our first it's our first big thing. Uh, and, it's our first show of this kind in Boston since this record was made. Um, and we're playing at the Sinclair in Boston, which is a, an awesome venue. So need to plug that September 8th. Um, we're also playing, uh, 
anybody we're, we've been on tour finding and found a couple people that are coming to our beachcomber show on cape cod it's cape cod's obviously a summer destination um so we when we play there it's a it's an event it's a magical experience where you can spend the day on the beach uh the club sits on a cliff overlooking a gorgeous beach on cape cod um I'll have my shark tracking app out and I'll be swimming all day on the beach. And then we go up and play a show. And then after the show, we come down back down to the beach and have a fire and we're singing and we're just chilling. It's the best. It's a, it's a real highlight of the year. Luckily we've been able to play the beachcomber every year. Pandemic interrupted that a little bit, but that's one of our favorite places to play ever. So, and then we're playing river fest for uh, a radio station up, uh, where we live, it's great. Uh, 92.5 The River is having this this uh, annual festival, and we're we get we get to play that um, in August, yeah, mm-hmm. as well. So psyched about those those shows. They're all when we get home, we have big ones that we're looking forward to. So um, yeah, well, and some of the bands that we played with. Um, we booked this tour ourselves um, and we pretty much handpicked all the bands that were opening, you know, um, it was really hard to book our own tour. Um, we just didn't, we hadn't toured for so long. We just didn't have an agent. And it was like the only thing we could, only way we could get it done was to just do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it also took forever. And it's, it's why we ended up at a lot of these weird venues. Um, we just, <laughs> We just had to get out and make it happen. And we found the openers on our own. So, um, so they're all good. If you, I, I can't name them all, but like Colin Bracewell, we just played with let's be kids. Uh, we played with Beachmont, unbelievable band. Um, uh, this girl, Maggie Shays, we, we played with last night. She blew our mind. Um, so yeah, check out all the people that have been opening for us because we we found we found them and added them and and we were really excited to play with them. So those are my shout outs. Hell yeah! Okay. All right. Well, thank you for It's been Dave from Air Traffic Controller, and we have been the Good Noise Podcast. <laughs>